I wanted to put together a show, a vehicle, basically, that would show all of my talents, that yeah. I could sing, that I could act, that yeah. I could tell jokes, I could be a, I could be a comedian. You know, I, I wanted to have all of it displayed right there for everybody to see what I was capable of doing. And in all of that, you created an important self-advocacy statement for all autistic people. Which is very important, you know, and there's a lot in there. It's wonderful statements at the end, you're speaking for people. Actually, you are. I, I think you are, definitely. Uh, you can make that, that statement, and that will work in any country, certainly in this country, in my country. And it's a hell of a I thing. Never, I never want anybody to feel like there's nothing that they can't do because mm. of being on the spectrum. I want to be the voice that says, anything you want to do in life, you can do it. Aspie's podcast. Written, recorded, and produced by Paul Wadey. Hello, welcome to the 13th Gorilla Aspie's podcast with myself, Paul Wadey. This occasion I'll be interviewing my friend George Steves, who is out there in Los Angeles. The COVID-19 epidemic is still raging. We are said to be weeks away from getting our vaccinations. Personally, I've had four of them this year. I'm in the Oxford-AstraZeneca vaccine trials, and I don't know if I've had the COVID vaccine and a booster or a meningitis one, but one thing is for sure, I feel rather good. And, of course, I've had my uh, flu jab, and I've also had one for pneumonia. So that's four vaccines. And contrary to what the anti-vaccination movement is saying... I'm still alive and well and feel quite happy. I should be dead by now, apparently. Anyway, George and I met two years ago at the Edinburgh Fringe in 2018. His show was on at the same time as mine, which is why I wasn't able to see it until a year later when it turned up on Vimeo. And it is brilliant. So now I hand you over to the man himself. George Steves, good grief. Do you remember how we met, George? Yes, I do. It was at the 2018 Edinburgh Fringe Festival. (laughs) I was doing Magic 8-Ball at the Gilded Balloon. And, um, oh, oh God, what was the name of the theater? Um, um, Oh, it was the Turret Room, or as I jokingly called it, the Tourette Room. The Turret Room? I think I went up there the year after. I saw, I went up there after you'd been there. It was it? It was a really tight corridor. You had to go up. It's like a medieval thing. Yeah. Yes. Good grief! And it was up that cobble stairs, uh, the the road that goes to the um, the castle. Yeah. Yeah. Because a year later, I went up there, and I saw a brilliant monologue uh, of somebody pretending to be uh, a man out of Thin Lizzy. Um, whose name escapes me, the bass, Phil Lynott, who was also a young gay man. Oh. Who played, the, and he had the hair, he had the moustache, he was just a clone, and he was, oh, very moving. Another honest individual, and I told him so online, I really can, because I saw the same man in 1980. And, and George, you know, I've got to ask you, did you conceive of the whole thing, all that, all that material, that was you? Yes, yeah. um, I um, I wrote the play, yeah. and then my directors Penny and Crystal Wilson helped me edit it. Yeah. That way, we could get it to a really tight one-hour show. So I came with a bunch of ideas, right. and um, when I brought it to the table to them, they helped me chisel and edit mm. the show, mm. and um, they helped me pick uh, the songs, and they helped me pick the costumes, and. Um, but yeah, everything I, I wrote. Because you, did you have any input from other autistic people on that show? No, everything just wow. came straight from my heart and it yeah. came straight from my own personal experiences. Because what you created was a universal kind of every autistic story. And I, I, I relate to that and I seen it and heard it in so many other people. And it's like, Oh my God, <laughs> we became friends. And then like months later or a year later, I get this incredible reward. 
I see this film on it's on Vimeo, isn't it? And I'm like, yeah. Uh, <laughs> this guy, you know, it's like everything I'd hoped for, you know, it was there. Everything I dreamed of, it was there, you know, but better because it wasn't what I think of. It was all singing and all dancing. It was you guys in America. You, when you perform, you you guys you perform. You have this ten out of ten flawless thing. You really step up everything that American people do. Like everything you do, I'm, I spent three years buying t- uh, selling tickets for really useful theatre, and I got to see all the best shows in the West End of London. Okay, uh, wow. Shaftesbury Avenue, Phantom of the Opera, like three times. Taboo, eight times. Uh, Les Mis, <laughs> I did about five times. Les Miserable. And I'm not kidding. You are totally standard. You are the standard. That's oh, well, thank you. The you. Standard. you just do it. You know, you should be working I in that field. Love to, I would love to perform in London. I still haven't performed in London. You will. Once we got over, we got our vaccines, got this pandemic over, you can come and stay in ours and bloody get on with it. That'd be great. Yeah. You just got to publicize it. Definitely. No problem at all because you're, you're rock solid. You're great. You go from strength to strength as well. You just got to be seen. You got the personality and everything. Anyway, that's enough of being nice to you. It's <laughs> <laughs> enough of that. What did I? Do you remember what I always call you? What is the name I always call you? Was it Gorgeous George? Yes. <laughs> okay. In the 1970s, there was a wrestler on the television in black and white, and he'd come on in a big robe, and it's Gorgeous George. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, and I, <laughs> I had to call you that. So, can you tell us, for the purposes of the podcast, where did you, first of all, where did you grow up? Where did you start? Well, um, East Coast, born yeah. and raised. Um, yeah. I was born in Connecticut, and then my family moved down to Virginia, and I was yeah. in Virginia for 10 years all throughout yeah. my childhood. And then when I was 11, my family moved from Virginia to Pennsylvania in the suburbs of Philadelphia. I grew up in Fort Washington. Right, because I visited Philadelphia for a day. It's and a great city. Yeah, yeah. I, once, I saw Edgar Allan's Poe's house that was there. Uh, where he stayed for a few years as well. I visited Fordham as well on another trip. But yeah, yeah, and of course, he had a Richmond, Virginia accent. That's how he Which, spoke. Because I lived in Virginia for 10 years. We were about an hour and a half away from Richmond. Wow. Oh. And then you moved all over the place. Now, you, did you, I've got notes here, you ended up in uh, the Lutheran University. Yes. Um, I really wanted to get out to Los Angeles as soon as I possibly could, but my parents wanted me to go to college. So I thought the good compromise would be to go to college in Southern California. So um, I found a small private Lutheran college called California Lutheran University, Mm. also known as CLU. And I transferred in as a sophomore in the fall of 2008. Um, Right. Thousand Oaks is about forty miles outside of Los Angeles. So I was close. I was close to where I wanted to be, which was Los Angeles. You do that all on your own. There was no like special needs support. Anything you just did? No, I just I got admitted to the college and I packed up my bags and I drove my car cross country with my father and then my father flew back. Brilliant. That's how you did it. I, yeah. Just went out there not knowing a soul, but I wanted to be a singer and actor since pretty much day one of my life. Mm. So I was 19 years old and I was ready to get started on that. Brilliant. You went out there when you were 19. There was a song in the 80s about night called 19. It was all you guys like 30, 40 years ago that were in Vietnam. <laughs> Those poor people <laughs> would go out there. You know, There's always been a tremendous pioneer spirit in America, can do. You just get up and get on with it. Just throw yourself Pretty much. Well, yeah. um, as, as we like to say here in America, um, pick yourself up by the bootstraps. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, that's become more of a Republican phrase, though, in my <laughs> lifetime. So I try not to say Republican <laughs> phrases because I am not a big fan of the Republican Party well, at the well, moment. Yeah. Um, I'm a Democrat. <laughs> yes. And uh, so I try not to use that term anymore because that's become like a Republican term. Well, the, the but at least we uh, at least we won't have our embarrassing you know Cheeto for too much longer. Right, I was going to say the whole phase of the, the the clown president, the president no one will believe was a real president, is, is finally come to an end. Because I didn't think I never thought he was a real 
presidency. However, he will go to his grave insisting that he won and the election was rigged. <laughs> he will go to his grave saying that. Brilliant, brilliant, yes. He's one step away from being a flat earther, isn't he? He's just marvellous. <laughs> my friend and I, my best friend from school, from when we were 10, walked past Trump Tower. <laughs> That's a close defense. A couple of years ago now. And, we, and we saw a well-dressed fella come up to it, stick his finger up, and he walked right past Trump Tower, and he kept his finger right up in the air, non-stop. And then finally, he only dropped his arm, and he cleared Trump Tower. And he just <laughs> did that all the way along. You know. I'm sure. I'm sure many of us will be doing that for as long as yeah, those yeah. towers are in the United States. Terrible. How are things going right now? But before we go back, I know. Sorry, we should. Should we be in the past or be in the present? Let's go back to the past. It's all good. I can talk about anything. I am intrigued about this cult that this acting teacher was in. What was this cult? You can't mention. Okay. Um. I try not to mention it because um, it's a very popular cult in my industry, and it's oh. called um, Scientology. Oh! <laughs> you didn't have the Thetans, did you? <laughs> I, you know, I did the show in Hollywood, and you never know who's a Scientologist, and I didn't want to offend anybody and potentially lose out on an acting job or an agent or a manager. So I... <laughs> The only time I ever said the yeah. name Scientology was when I did the shows in Virginia. Because <laughs> I felt like, yeah, I felt like Virginia, I was safe. There's not a Scientology yeah. building, I don't think, in the state of Virginia. So I think I was fine there. We've got one in um, London, and my mate and I went I, in for a personality um, test one. I, um, yeah. My act teacher was a Scientologist and she ran her right. acting class like it was her own personal church of Scientology. <laughs> I was never a Scientologist yeah. myself, yeah. but my acting teacher used all the same Scientology jargon that they use. Bloody hell. Were you going clear in your acting? Yeah, so I learned about all the terms like crime and PTS, which means potential trouble source. Oh, um, SP, suppressive person. What? I learned about these phrases because of my teacher. So it was kind of sad that I could read Leah Remini's book yeah. and I understood all the terms <laughs> because my teacher used them. Suppressive person. Oh, no, and a T-shirt with that on it. Definitely. Oh, yeah. <laughs> When you leave my acting class, yeah. it's just like leaving the Church of Scientology. Um, everybody from the class stopped talking to me, and my acting teacher deleted me from her Facebook, never talked to me ever again. It's like getting excommunicated from a church when you leave Scientology or when you leave my acting teacher's class. They never talk to you ever again. It's like you never existed. George, you didn't need that. After the life you've had, bloody hell, that oh, choir yeah. was bad enough. Five years, after five years, I had had enough of it. <laughs> I couldn't take the Scientology crap anymore. And you know yeah. what? Looking back in, on it now, it was probably one of the best decisions I ever made right. in my life was yeah. to be back. Yeah. Well, good for you. And that's who you are, by the way. You're somebody who stands on his own two feet. I know that. Bloody hell, you were out there doing it on your own. You were all alone. You know, you were a very brave man. I know you're working with no people. Matter, no matter how many walls of shit fell down on me, I survived every single one of them. Yeah. And that is theatre, and that is, that is showbiz, isn't it? Yes, it is. Um, yeah. I, I always tell people, if you're going to try to pursue a career in this, um, you have to be in it for the long haul. Mm -hmm. um, one of my friends said you have to give it at least 10 years. I mean, yeah. it takes time. Right. Yes, some people get here, and yes, they get, get very lucky. They get an agent. They get a manager. Before they know it, they're the star of the show. Yeah. It all falls into place. But for everybody else, you got to come here, and you got to pay the dues and do the work. Get into an acting class or get into an improv class, get your headshots and just start canvassing, start mailing to all the agents yeah. and managers and casting directors. Yeah. I mean, it really is like your own business when you're an actor. It's hmm. one reason I ever did it in the first time when I went to drama school in my early 20s because I knew I could create my own theatre. But I yeah. was a very immature autistic, so I had to give well, up and grow up. 
But yeah, not your, not the case with you. You you're fine. You know. Well, after after years of trying to do it the traditional Hollywood way, that was why I made my one man show was yeah. because I figured, OK, Hollywood doesn't know what to do with me. I can't get a job the traditional Hollywood way. So if Hollywood's not going to give me a job, I'm going to make myself a job. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I did with my one man show. I made my own job. Because there's a hell of a lot more to you than just being an actor, you know. Yeah, I wanted uh, I wanted to put together a show, a vehicle, basically that would show all of my talents. That yeah. I could sing, that I could act, that yeah. I could tell jokes. I could be a I could be a comedian. You know, I, I wanted to have all of it displayed right there for everybody to see what I was capable of doing. And in all of that, you created an important self advocacy statement for all autistic people. Which is very important, you know, and there's a lot in there. It's wonderful statements at the end, you're speaking for people. Actually, you are. I, I think you are, definitely. Uh, you can make that, that statement, and that will work in any country, certainly in this country, in my country. It's a hell of a I thing. Never, I never want anybody to feel like there's nothing that they can't do because mm -hmm. of being on the spectrum. I want to be the voice that says, anything you want to do in life, you can do it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a hell of a thing. <laughs> I know I keep eulogizing it. You just got to see it. I like your uh, I like your music video, by the way. I'm getting down on a big bale of hay. You had to get down, didn't they? Hosing away. I was trying to, I, before I did the one man show, I was yeah. trying to do the country music thing. So, really? uh, <laughs> well, you got the boots and the stetson. Hey, day, day, day. <clears throat> Two words broke back. <laughs> Mountain. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if, if if I did something like that and if it got me an Oscar nomination, I'm in. <laughs> Get you a bit more than that, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely win-win for you. That's what I said. And I uh, would have already had the preparation to do that kind of role. That's right. It's exhaustive <laughs> preparation. <laughs> he really put himself in there. He really went for it. <laughs> brilliant <laughs> what a professional oh he, he sacrificed a lot brilliant how's it in the present now how's it going where you are is it los angeles yeah yeah still, how's it going, uh, there? los angeles still in hollywood still there in the flat yeah with the identical bathroom to ours very strange very we strange. actually yeah. just had our stay-at-home orders start again today all right yeah. well yeah they we we have to we i mean in America, we have a little holiday called Thanksgiving, yeah. which is truly an ugly holiday when you really look at the history of what Thanksgiving is. Right. Basically, Thanksgiving, the, the origin of Thanksgiving yeah. is basically the, in, the, the Native Americans right. and the settlers having one meal together before the settlers before the settlers committed genocide on the native americans and kicked them off their land basically so yeah, um the turkey. if you really do break down the history of thanksgiving it's a very ugly holiday um but obviously over the years it's evolved to just basically having a turkey around your family friends or loved ones mm. And it's so many people, <laughs> and despite the fact that, you know, our numbers here in America are surging, yeah. um, people yeah. still wanted to travel for Thanksgiving. So I'm afraid that because of all the traveling that Americans did, numbers are going to keep on surging. So yeah. uh, the mayor of Los Angeles basically said effective today, stay at home orders are in place. That means you can't go out on the street. Yeah, I mean, unless we have a mask on. And some cities like West Hollywood have instated a $500 fine if you're walking around without a mask on. Good. Good. Yeah. I mean, we got to, unfortunately, our country just did not get on the same page when it came to how to handle this pandemic. Yeah. It's a very serious thing. We know somebody who died. He was in the 70s, a friend of my wife's. I, um, of a, uh, signed up for the uh, Oxford vaccine trial and mm -hmm. I've either had a meningitis shot in the booster or I've had the COVID in the booster and I may be about to find out when the vaccines start like next week or the week after you might not need it you see I don't know but I'd recommend oh. you get in for the trials 
if there's any trials going over that, because I'm getting my fourth vaccination of the year tomorrow, then I get a flu vaccine, and I've had a pneumonia vaccine, and I've had these two other vaccines. I, can't. I um I haven't heard of any trials, but yeah. the minute I hear of one, yeah. I will sign up. <laughs> if you can find them online, I had to look up because I'm in London, so it's really easy. You go to this place called St Thomas's Hospital; it's only a few miles away on the Thames. So I think all you've got to do is just uh, go online, and you could you could probably find something. But it's where it's it's definitely you go in there. There's all these doctors going in for it because they they realise a they're going to help out and b they're going to get the vaccine if they're lucky. So it's it's great. It's nothing wrong with me at all. Can't. But apart from doing that, there's nothing we can do, is there? No, this is out of our control. I mean, if 2020 taught us anything, mm. it's that Mother Nature is gonna is gonna you know run its course and you know. This virus didn't care about your plans or what you wanted to do for the year of 2020. <laughs> Amen. There's a and lot of this, people. Sorry. And this in this year really taught me more than anything else oh. to count your blessings. I mean, I'm oh. happy to still be alive. Yeah. I'm happy to still be healthy. I'm happy that everybody in my immediate family, my brothers, my sister, my parents, have not succumbed to this virus. Yeah. Yeah. And um, that this year really taught me that because we have over two hundred thousand deaths right now in our country. It's brutal over here. So we have a lot of people around here who seem to think they're immortal, and they, the whole situation is monodimensional. It's just like a cold; it will come and go, and it's com that completely wrong. We have no idea where this is going in a year's time, five years time, six months. We had a we had a president who basically lied to the American people and said it's. Yeah. The it will go away like magic and you know he thought he could bluff his way through a global pandemic yeah. and that turned out to be the case happy conversation isn't it we kind of talk about what's happening now as opposed to your marvelous show and this is where we're in the world and we're all gonna die it's a disease sadly it's what's around us all the time right now i mean this is consumed all of our lives basically as a planet. So if we can come back to, to being autistic, have you have you many autistic friends over now in your life these, these past few years? I do. Um, uh, thanks to doing this show, I've had the opportunity to meet a lot more on the spectrum, such as yeah. yourself. Yeah. And, um, I, I, I finally met Anders uh, when, I, when I took the show to New York. Good. And, Very uh, good. Yeah, I'm And, um, yeah, and I have a lot of friends here in Los Angeles, uh, fellow actors who I've met that are also on the spectrum. So, yeah, I've, in, the last, um, in the last several years, I've definitely made a lot more friends who were on the spectrum. Brilliant. There was a site over here that my mate Drew told me about that was for gay Aspies. So there must be a, a site, there like a Facebook group. It was originally like a, a Gmail, Google Mail site just for... <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> if you can't find one, set it up. <laughs> Prophetic words. <clears throat> Enough said. But yeah, we're everywhere. And I'm really glad that you found, because in the show, you, you really don't know any autistic people. No. Yeah, know any. And yet you create all the concepts in neurodiversity movement from scratch, and you realize, you know, that you hold these truths to be self-apparent, that we should have self-respect and dignity, and that we can achieve anything. So you go and do it to show you can achieve it. And I just wanted to make sure that my voice was heard because, you know, even before this pandemic uh, happened, we were already really divided as a country because of our president. Um, you know, you had half the country that loved him and half the country that hated him. And, um, you know, we unfortunately had a president who openly mocked a disabled reporter. I've seen that. Um, my director, I was talking about it with my director one day, we were in the car and my director was like, you need to put that in the show. I think people need to hear that. And so I decided to. That will never go away. That is a meme. It can be repeated as a gift. History is going to trample all over the party and that man. I don't think he understands what he was doing. You know, he, he was, these people get into power and they think uh, the founder of Reich will last a thousand years. Oh, my legacy will endure. And as soon as they're out of office, the new president, as soon as he just 
Biden just completely change everything, you know. And they carry on as if they're... It's like the, the anti-vaxxers and the, the COVID-idiots who seem to believe that they're apt, that they last forever. They'll be there forever, you know. Uh, it's not the case. And nobody, nobody's immortal here, so... Mm. We're all going to eventually go, but you can make the decision to last a little longer. <laughs> yeah, if you get a vaccination. Yeah, if you make the decision and that you want to last a little longer. Mm. So are you are you able to work uh, through the um, situation? Yes. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, um, I mean, I was working as an actor last year, which was great. Um, yeah, last year, I... My first feature film, and I booked a guest starring role on a television series called NCIS Los Angeles. Yeah. And um, actually, yeah. I um, I did the movie with uh, one of your own. Uh, the star of our movie was a Brit. Um, his name is uh, William Mosley, and he was Peter in the Chronicles of Narnia movies. Okay, and you were in that. Has it been released yet? No, it hasn't. Um we were hoping that it would come out by this year because we shot it last October, September, and um, it's a Christmas movie. However, unfortunately, because of the pandemic, a lot of movies that were planned for theatrical releases that are now not getting them. Unfortunately, that independent feature is now kind of the last thing that people are considering for streaming services because there's bigger movies with bigger budgets that need mm. homes now, too, for streaming services right. like right. Netflix and Hulu and Amazon and or as they say in the UK, Amazon. <laughs> Amazon, that's right. Yeah. Amazon. Amazon. Uh, Where are you home from? It's Amazon. We say, yeah, in America we say it Amazon. Amazon, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like those sword and sandal films they used to make in Hollywood. I am a Roman. I am a Gaul. You know, they're all... <laughs> I am Caesar. Hail Caesar! <laughs> it was brilliant! Because uh, British, British people hear American accents. It's just... It's a mature, you know. And what I was doing in between acting jobs was I was driving for Uber and I was driving for Lyft to, you know, pay right. my rent in between acting yeah. gigs. However, now that, uh, you know, now that people aren't going anywhere anymore, um, I had to figure out what I was going to do about my finances. So I ended up getting a job at the Domino's Pizza down the street from my house delivering pizzas. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it was a little embarrassing to have to go back to pizza delivery after guest starring on a TV show. Mm. But, you know, you do what you have to do. Well, the thing about being an actor is that you're reflecting reality. So if you're delivering pizzas, you're getting nothing but, you know, the real world 24-7. And that only enriches your art. And it's also being somebody who can do that, who can go from you know, what you wanted to achieve to what you didn't want to do and just being an ordinary person that's a very Buddhist thing to be able to keep an even keel doing that a lot of people in, in your business you could be um, like Johnny Depp one minute and then Johnny Depp revealed as a as a wife beater and out of a job and ended up one step away from being Kevin who is no longer mentioned <laughs> house of cards kevin that we don't talk about and he's not working at all he could be yeah. delivering pizzas yeah he could be hollywood, hollywood will forgive so much but there's yeah. certain things hollywood will not forgive in mr mr spacey's case if you're if you're somebody who did did inappropriate things with a minor hollywood will not forgive that right they will not forgive pedophilia so um mm. that happened with Spacey, and that happened with another actor named Stephen Collins, yeah. who was on a show called Seventh Heaven, and then it was revealed that he had had relations with an underage girl, and that, that ruined his career. Hollywood will not forgive that. Oh, this is what goes on. It's that yeah. simple. It really is. And, and it should be, because it's once, in some ways it's a very dense, a very deep, a very serious, sophisticated thing. But in other ways, it's incredibly simple. You are performing for an audience. Yeah. You know, one step away from the king's players, the mummers, uh, and then they built the globe and so on. It all started with gypsies, prostitutes, thieves, tinkers, you know, the kind of people. We, yeah. 
So it, for me, it was always like being a soldier when I tried to do it in 1987. I actually did two auditions after I left the drama school. But then I realised that I really needed to grow up and get it together. I haven't done an audition for like 33 years now. And I, I had an opportunity. I, I had to put myself on tape for an audition actually uh, this coming week. Good. Very good. For a CBS project. So, um, yeah. we'll, we'll see what that, what that entails. But I have to put, um, every single audition I've had for the year of 2020 has all been self tape auditions. Yeah. It's a very, people don't understand what it is to get, to go for an audition, get your hopes raised, and then you don't get the audition. And this can go on and on and on. And they don't, it's say, all about, yeah. it's, it's, it's all about you just keep going, you yeah. keep going, and, Eventually, and it happened to me for me twice last year. I booked yeah. two jobs last year. Yes, you're going to get a lot of no's, but if you keep in there and if you keep persistent and if you keep at it, you'll eventually get a yes. And then you'll get another yes. And then you might get another no and another no, but then you'll get another yes. You know, it's it's all about yes and no. You're going to get a lot of no's, but if you hang in there and if you don't mm. quit and if you don't give up, you, you'll eventually get a yes. Yeah, because yeah. you're good, by the way. Because you're not Thank wasting you. your time. Because you've actually got a bit of substance, and I think delivering pizzas is very helpful, helpful in that respect as well. Because anything that takes a bit of you know nerve and backbone to, to make a man grow as a person is it's going to be there on the screen, and that's that's what it's all about. I, I was out there on the was out there on the front line myself, delivering pizzas to people who needed to eat. So yeah. Yeah, nowhere near as nowhere near as heroic as the people working in the hospitals, but you know, I did my part. They are Americans; they need pizza. People still yeah. need to people still need to eat. So yes. I felt like I was out there on the front line well, delivering food to people who needed to eat. Really, like these red cross parachuting them down. You know, pizza. We'll we'll make it. We'll survive. We got water. We got pizza. Yeah. Well, what we ended up doing was how uh, pizzas got delivered during a global pandemic was. Um, you do with this thing now called contactless delivery, yeah. which is you, you put the pizza down on their front doorstep, you knock on the door, and then you just walk away. Right. And the neighbors get it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> what I would always do to make sure that nobody would steal their pizzas, yeah. I would always knock on the door and then go to the end of the hallway and then wait for them to open up the door to take it inside. Yeah. Just so that way I know that they got it. Yeah, you're doing the job properly. So you go the extra mile for them, yeah. Well, this end, it's all keeping fit and making crazy action man films, as you can see. And I've made a few films about being autistic on my YouTube, uh, which are full of really jarring and aggressive images, actually. But that's... The closest I've got in my life to, to saying what it's like to be me an autistic. If I did my equivalent in your show, it would be very uh, intense and not appropriate for some autistic people, I think. But you've really inspired me and really helped me to get closer to my own vision. Uh, as Anders Lee did with his, his brilliant show, which he did in The Elephant Castle uh, when he visited London. And I, oh, hell of a thing. You guys, you really do. Americans really... You're right up there, you're very well trained and you, you come up with a huge standard of performance which is very impressive and, and the honesty to put your heart out it, it goes without saying it really it really does and you're not kidding anyone a lot of us of course have to a lot of us can't be out in so many different ways because uh, you're keeping jobs and, and of course um, have you, are you aware of actors who are autistic but in the closet do you think? There's actually more and more attention now coming for actors on the spectrum. Yeah. Uh, there was recently a controversy because Sia did a film recently. I think it's called Music. Yeah, and I've seen it. she hired an actress who was not on the autism spectrum. Yeah. And um, actors such as uh, Alex Plank and Kayla Cromer yeah. and uh, Mickey Rowe, who was the first actor on the spectrum to play Curious Boys incident Girl. of the dog in the night time when it transferred. Yeah. And what and what's the character's name again? Christopher. He was the first actor on the spectrum to play Christopher, and his name yeah. is Mickey. I think it's Mickey Rowe or Mickey Rao. Right. But anyways, yeah. uh, we know each other on Facebook and yeah. and Twitter, but we never met in person. But anyways, um, 
So now there's a lot more attention actually on us because for more roles that are coming, Hollywood is getting a lot more conscious about hiring actors on the spectrum. I mean, both of the jobs I had last year were both jobs for actors on the spectrum. They were looking for actors on the spectrum and I got to play it two times. Mm. One of my friends was like, well, you don't want to get pigeonholed. And I was like, well, I have to work, you know, and typecasting is part of the industry. So if I'm going to have to get into the industry as the autistic guy, then I'm going to be the best damn autistic guy Hollywood has ever seen. And then from there, Hopefully I can do roles that are not autistic and I can I can then really show my chops as an actor. But typecasting is is what this industry is all about when you're just starting out. If you look at Criminal Minds TV show, it's been going a long time. There are at least two characters like uh, was it Philip? Mr. Grubler. And yes. also the woman who plays the computer expert, the hacker. I've met her, Kirsten Bagnus. I've oh, met her. Yes, out and proud, isn't she? She's yes. absolutely fantastic. But the both of them are clearly uh, pseudo-autistic style people. There's, there seems to be something happening out there where it's trendy to have pseudo-autistics. Present. Well, yeah. it's um, I've seen this with a lot of television programming here in this country. Uh, there's another show called The Middle, yeah, which was with Patricia Heaton, and um, there was a character on the show named Brick, mm. and they never say it, but he clearly has Aspergers, oh. or as they say it in the UK, Aspergers. Aspergers syndrome. Yeah. Oh God. Oh, I, love, yeah, yeah. I hate the way we say it as Americans. It sounds like a burger made out of an ass in America. <laughs> so I hate the term. I don't believe in it. I always at the beginning of my show I refute it. I just say it's a snob term, and it's a lot of <laughs> crap. You're just on the spectrum. You're just autistic, and everything else is how you try to pretend you're not and masking and coping and all these definitions. There's all these different uh, schools of thought about it, the diagnostic service manual, and there's always, oh, that's not autism, that's neurodivergence, that's Asperger's, that's neurodiverse, that's PDD, NO. No, you're just bloody autistic and everything else is, is your own social skills and it's all a lot of crap and I really try to deconstruct all that. You know, I actually react against the very... Uh, academia and uh, formal uh, diagnosis terminology that I'm supposed to embrace. I think it's quite frankly. It's just it's just a wide spectrum, and we all fall in different places. That's just how I see it. It's a wide spectrum, yeah. and there's high functioning, and then there's low functioning. I mean, it's a wide spectrum. It's interesting. How can a disorder give you abilities? I always say that to everyone. I talked to you. how can a disorder give you empathy for others of your kind when you can form long-term loving, stable relationships and be rather happy? I don't get it. You know, in ways of relating, you and I have a way of relating unique to our kind, <laughs> you know, obsessional behavior. It's just great. I love it. I'm getting on a bit now. I can't even remember half of my obsessional stuff. My, my Doctor Who knowledge is declining. It's just embarrassing, you know. But I've got all these synthesizers in the corner of the room. Quick, turns the computer. That, that sheet, that's all my synthesizers. I love my synthesizers. You know, can't even play the bloody things when I've got them. What's funny is there's an actress from Doctor Who who I remember because yeah, yeah. she used to be a pop star, and yeah. her name is Billy Piper. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, incredible. I saw her in a... In Billy, a Piper. Yeah. Billy Piper used to be a pop star back in the 90s. Yeah. And what's funny is they brought her over to America. Yeah. I'm one of the few Americans who remembers Billy Piper as a pop star because yeah. they did bring her over to the States in 1999. However, here's the problem. Yeah. The reason why Billy couldn't happen as a pop star in America was because it was 1999 and Britney Spears had already come out <laughs> and everybody was so obsessed with Britney. So there was no room for Billy Piper really? and whatever Britney Spears and whatever Britney Spears didn't get yeah. all the attention was on Christina Aguilera. <laughs> then it was on Jessica Simpson. <laughs> then it was on Mandy Moore. We had four other pop stars <laughs> who came out that year. So there wasn't any room for Billy in the marketplace. Yeah, yeah. These- People, I'm an old punk rocker. You are a punk rocker. 
Clark, Stranglers, Dam, Sex Pistols, Suxi, The Slits. I love the love the Clash, you're love good. the Sex Pistols, love the Ramones. Oh, yeah, the Ramones. <laughs> I have such serious <laughs> mental health issues in my... I never got into the Ramones. Forgive me, Father, for I have sinned, sinned. Johnny, <laughs> Joey, I don't know what's wrong with me. I, I've sought help. I really do need to see somebody. No, I missed them. They came to Liverpool in the early 80s. I didn't see them. I don't like the Ramones. The KKK took my baby away. I even know the songs. I don't know what's wrong with me. Saw Patti Smith in the flesh. In oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. She played the South Bank. She was really good. A retrospective on William Burroughs. That was good. And she had uh, Ian Sinclair and a very the guy who wrote The Dark Knight Rises. Um, uh, a graphic novelist on the stage as well. So yeah, I've seen Patty Smith. Yeah. And like and like most gay children in the '90s, one of our favorite groups came from your country. Right. <laughs> the little pop sensation from the '90s dominated our country. Like most gay children, I was a fan too. Who was not the not the Spice Girls? Oh, of course. Oh God's sake! Oh. The child of the nineties that th- they were big and everybody loved them. Who was my who was in my age group? We were all kids. Seriously, <laughs> posh, sporty. I want to. Baby. I want to. I hope they all do a reunion tour, and I will fly to the UK to see yeah. them if it's safe. Yeah, one of them was from <laughs> Liverpool in their favour, and I did once knock on the door of Scary Spice because I oh, knocked on Brown International. Yeah. <laughs> And it was West Hampstead. And the father oh. said, go on, she's upstairs, go on. No, I don't want to do it, oh, no. And I tried the intercom and, and just a woman answered and no going. But I'll never forget when I watched the royal wedding when Harry married Meghan. <laughs> and um, I watched the royal wedding. I got up to, I was curious. I watched the royal wedding. It was being broadcast. So I yeah. watched it. Yeah. All, the, it was, all the news outlets in my country were covering it. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, I decided to tune in because I figured, you know what? This is a very historical moment because this is the first half black princess mm. your country has had. Are you, Mrs. And, Simpson. <laughs> and, um, when they when they when they were singing in the ceremony, they go to David and Victoria, and Victoria is not singing. And I'm like, uh, "Hi, Victoria, you were part of a singing group. That's the reason why you got famous. Why aren't you singing?" Because <laughs> she married a footballer and she doesn't smile. Oh, she got a great smile and she does smile, though. I think she got the best review in the film. Of course, I haven't seen the film. I haven't seen... Like, I've never seen... I'll never make a gay man. I've never seen Mamma Mia. And I, the show... We never got free tickets for it in the West End when it was on there. But if I had, I would have... I would have stood firm. I would... I've never, never seen any of the films. Oh, for goodness sake. You want to hear something? And I, I might um, I might anger a lot of musical theater people who uh-huh. loved the movie. I thought the sequel was actually better yeah. than the first movie. Well, that's because it's probably because the, the, the cast got better at it, if you see what I mean. They had more time. The Rocky Horror well, Picture Show, they the, spent the years story, doing that before they filmed it. The story in the sequel, yeah. I felt, had a lot more substance right, than yeah, the yeah. story in the first movie. Yeah, because the first one was so successful, they put far more in. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Yeah, but I've still never seen it, and I never bloody well. It's no good you trying to sell it like that. Oh, George. Joy. I mean, they're they're fun movies, you yeah. know. <laughs> when you're on set and you're working as an autistic person, is there anything particularly you find differentiates you from everybody else? Um. Well, um, I'm just basing this off of two experiences, but um, whenever I get to set, um, I just try really hard to focus as much as I can. I focus on the lines. I I focus on my intention, um, what what my character is trying to do, what my character is trying to say in Mm -hmm. in each moment. So I just really, really focus. Um, Mm -hmm. When William Mosley was promoting the film on his Instagram page, uh, he was giving shout outs to all the cast members. And when it got to me, he said at George F. Steves for his never wavering energy, mm. yeah. because I, I, I gave it my all in that movie. I mean, that was my first movie and I just really wanted to knock it out of the park. So I was giving it my all. Mm. Did 
did you feel and it, it, I had never wavering energy <laughs> did you feel it sustained you rather than exhausting you it gave you more energy to do that it was a sensation of joy I was living my dream. I was yeah. living what I wanted to do ever since I was a kid. It was one of the happiest experiences of my life. I mean, I was finally, I was finally on the first day when I was shooting the first scene, I just was thinking, oh my God, I'm really here and I'm really doing this. That's what I want to hear. This is, that's it. Because we have to be careful about our energy and about overstretching ourselves and about over-focusing and being overwhelmed as well and think we're doing well and we kind of collapse. And there's always stories about actors going for it so much, going really going for it and paying for it in different ways. And I'm really glad that was the case. That You are definitely... Because I know the feeling, kind of, just people who are made to do this kind of thing. You know, you get a what I always liked to do when I was making the first movie, uh, it, was, it was called Pencil Town when we shot it, but now it's called Saving Paradise. Okay. And um, what I always like to do is um, at the end of every shooting day, yep. I would always go to the trailer and have the makeup artist remove all my makeup. Yeah. <laughs> because that, like, that was like my way personally of putting the character down and just going home as myself. Yeah. That's really interesting, that, actually, because I did immersive transformational character acting, and there's this thing about switching it off. Nobody knows about this. Yeah, you can actually, okay, it's over, rest. Yes. And the next day, back into character, rock and roll. Okay, now, going back to reality. Yeah. Yeah, it's very, very interesting, though, yeah. I was the only actor, I think, who would request it. I didn't see any of the other actors getting their makeup removed, but I would go to the hair and makeup trailer at the end and said, hey, is it cool if you guys, you know, wipe me off, you know, because that was like my own ritual and that was like my own way of putting the character down, you know. and Psychologically as well, yeah, because that stuff can get in your head and go, even if it's a nice character, because I've done all this, this stuff and things can go round and round, you know. I woke up one morning, spent the entire day pretending to be Quentin Crisp, but the other actors in my house weren't so lucky. The fellow next to me was a very old musical comedian. He was all right. And there was a guy at the top, who, uh, and he played Dennis Nielsen. So Quentin Crisp woke up in a house in Leightonstone, opened his door, and there at the top of the stairs, with his glasses on, was my friend Simon, pretending to be this gay serial killer. And you can imagine it was... <laughs> <laughs> It was a bit worrying <laughs> character. We all, there were three David Burns in the drama school. The Ayatollah Khomeini turned up, who was played by Damon Albarn. Uh, Billy Connolly, all these characters. My, a very good friend of mine who's still my mate, who I see in Edinburgh. Uh, I don't think you met him, um, but he is uh, on Facebook. David was uh, Rudolf Nureyev, and Rudolf and Quentin had a, had a right time, you know, had a right life. You can't take this business too seriously, right? <clears throat> there's a lot of um, there's a lot of um, it's like bells and whistles of the industry, you know. And you, um, as an actor, I try really hard to not get caught up in that, yeah. because unfortunately, this industry it it starts to make you feel like you're a product and not a person. Mm. You always have to remember that you are a person at the end of the day. Because then it becomes all about box office and it becomes yeah. all about awards and it becomes all about how well did your last movie do or how were your numbers? It, yeah. it becomes, you tend to become more of a product and you have to still remind yourself in the midst of all of this that no, I am not a product. I am a person. George, I don't know what to say. It's just, it's, it's a thing. I wish I could just hang out with you and show you London. I really do. I definitely plan to visit. Uh, Should we leave it there then, George? I was so happy to come on and do this today. It's just, I just feel like I met you before huge things happened. That we, we met before things got enormous for you. Because the future is going to be very, very good for you. Very and I, um, I definitely have another one-man show that I'm working on that I'm yes. very excited about. Yeah, what's it called? Well, uh, there might be a new name, actually. Um, originally, I was going to call it Confessions of a Queer Aspie. But, however, lately, 
because the show is going to talk about dating and sex and what that's like from an autistic perspective. Right, right. Uh, the two titles I'm playing around with was I was thinking of calling it Eat My Asperger's. Mm. Yes, George. Or, <laughs> or I was thinking of calling it uh, Kiss My Asperger's. Well, I see where you're coming from. It's, a lot more prov- it's definitely going to be a lot more provocative than my last show. <laughs> you can have the main title and then you can have bracket, you know, or bracket. Cause Julian Clary uh, played the Old Witch Theatre and he called the show Camping at the Old Witch. And he told <laughs> people on stage the original working title was The Man from Uranus. Make it that <laughs> what you will. <laughs> But yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, it's it's a very very good attitude. Brilliant. Well, it's, it's definitely yeah. It's definitely going to be a lot more provocative, and it's going to be a lot more daring than my last show. So, um, and I really want to do Edinburgh, Edinburgh at least one yeah. more time. Good. So, good. And I want to do it. I want to do it your way. I want to do it the free fringe mm, way. Um, no I did the. I did the. You know, the other way, I want to do it the free fringe way now. Yeah, yeah, it's a funny old thing about that. So you get in with a ticketed venue, there's money involved and yeah. stuff. Yeah, you're much better off taking complete control, put your deposit down, get some flyering people to work for you, and you're surprising, you get the same results. <gasps> What's that about? Well, you get better results, actually, on the relative scale. But, yeah, in your case, it's definitely showcase, showcase. You know, and just doing a run as well, and just meeting people, I think would be very yeah. important. Very important as well. This is. I mean, I always, I always loved coming down after my show was done to hang out with you and Alan oh. and Sarah. Yeah, 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 yeah. They're alive and well. It was great to see you, George. I was very good. We went to a party and everything, didn't we? Yes, I mean, um, because we still had to shoot that stuff for the documentary, which is still coming out. Yeah. Um, there's a couple more things that we have to tweak and fix yeah. on it, but the yeah. documentary is coming out soon. George, we'll do this again sometime. I'm going to sign Absolutely. off now. Bless you, brother. Cheers. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye.